Welcome to another episode of the Prosper Podcast. I'm here with Glenn. Hello. How you doing? Good. I'm feeling great for episode seven. Seven episodes. I know. Mate, it's basically a season. It, yeah. It's a season on Netflix. It's a Game of Thrones season just about. <laughs> they only had ten. Don't you hate it when there's like a random number of episodes in a season and you're expecting ten and then it wraps up? You're like, what? Oh, yeah, seven episodes. I wasn't oh. ready for that. Cliffhanger yeah. already. Happened to me. I was watching uh, Lupin the other night. It's a mm. good show. It's it a is. French one. It you is. watched it? I've seen the first season, yep. Yeah, yeah, I'm just started the second season. Yeah, yeah. It's a good It's a good movie. Actually, um, I want to bring something up though. Yep. I read an article today. Mm-hmm. There's a club called the Australian Club. Okay, I've heard about this. You have? Okay, so yep. it's a gentleman's club, mm-hmm. whatever that means. Not sure. Sounds dodgy. has some negative connotations <laughs> yeah. to it, doesn't it? <laughs> it sounds pretty dodgy, but I don't know. Apparently, it's some sort of uh, exclusive business... Man, like powerful businessman club. So this is the one where they had that historic vote uh, about whether women should be allowed to be members. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. it's been around since 1838, and they just it's only allows males. So they had this vote to see, oh, can we let you know powerful businesswomen apply to be a part of this club and be included? And 62 percent said no. So in 2021, 62 percent of men <laughs> in this club voted no. Yeah. And I, I saw some of the reasons, which were borderline comical. Yeah, the, was it the de- the decor? The decor. They were worried about the decor and the taps. Yeah, <laughs> they, they were worried they would have to change the masculine decor. Oh. And uh, I saw another one that was um, we'd have to behave differently at lunches. Okay, I feel like that one needs a bit of an explanation. I don't know what that. <laughs> I mean, fly on the wall in the gentlemen's club is going to be interesting. I don't know what's going on in there. Man. Because basically, it sounds like these guys make big decisions. Like we're talking about ex um, prime ministers and stuff in this club. Yeah, like big, powerful uh, businessmen. A lot of white old men, by the sounds of things, essentially, um, who apparently like the fact that they can go away with just the boys and their their, their wives don't have to worry. That yeah, there was that guy girls. that said, "Oh, my wife, my wife loves it. That yeah. There's no women in the club." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ridiculous. Well, I think this interview that we're about to play proves why there should be women in this club making these decisions. Because Maybe not this club, but certainly yeah. they should be in any sort of... I don't uh, think we want to be part of this club, to be no, honest. No, we're rejecting all offers we may get from now on. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, let's let's get into this interview. Yep. Bernadette is a champion. She's doing wonderful things. She's inspiring. Um, and I'm really excited to share this interview. Yeah, it's a great interview. She's She's really phenomenal. She's overcome a lot of adversity in her life too to get you know to reach her dreams which is really really cool let's get to it let's do it so Bernadette you founded and lead Brave Foundation which supports expecting and parenting teens in Australia you've introduced motions to local government to support refugees you've run a federal election campaign you're a member of the Order of Australia for your work with young people and communities and you've been a mother since you were 16 it's pretty inspiring stuff Oh, wow. Um, Jacob, when you say it like that, it, it feels like a lot. And walking out the journey, you know, at each point has been a privilege. And as I say to my children all the time, they're 28, uh, 
17 and 19, so two teenagers in the house, um, you know, that that parenting is the most rewarding and challenging role in one and I'm still learning and I need all the help I can get. And so I guess I've taken that uh, philosophy from that age of 16 and and I can add to um, to what you just introduced me um, with before too, Jacob. I'm a a grandmother now for a whole five weeks. So, yeah, Damien and his wife have had a beautiful little girl and so it's uh, quite extraordinary. Congratulations. That's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, look, I had to write down all these things because you've done quite a lot. I've, I just noticed that I also didn't mention you're a registered nurse. So the list goes on and on with what yeah, you've I chucked, achieved. Yeah, chuck that in there do you somewhere. Sleep? <laughs> Sorry? Do you sleep much? It doesn't seem like you do from, <laughs> do from looking sleep? at this, this list. <laughs> my, my husband, my husband actually, we have this continual um, quarrel, which is that he thinks that we don't need sleep. Okay. And um, that sleep just takes up a whole lot of time where we could be productive and do incredible things. And I, I, I strongly disagree with him and think <laughs> that at least seven hours sleep, maybe, you know, more if you can get it is very worthwhile. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what, what inspired you to start Brave Foundation? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I was in a strict Catholic home and, uh, you know, was liked by my teachers, was one of the girls, I guess, that went under the radar when I think about when I was in year 10. And, you know, we'd heard about girls and, and, you know, that were in a situation where they'd fallen pregnant. And uh, for me, with my strict Catholic upbringing, it was pretty much like, you know, oh my goodness, how on earth would they survive? And like, people you couldn't even identify with or understand. Little did I know that that was going to become my story um, after I met my first boyfriend at that young age. And so for me, I remembered asking the question and, and I, uh, something I reflect on now, I'm, I'm 44 and in a different part of my life as, as we've just shared. But looking back and, you know, I was brave enough, I guess, to ask some questions uh, when, you know, I didn't know what to do. And so I started asking questions about how do I finish my education? How do I finish my support? How do I be a good mum? I'd hardly held a baby. Actually, I hadn't held a baby mm. until I had my own. And um, and so it, a lot of people, unfortunately, had said, you can't finish your education. You can't. There isn't a way for you to, to have that pathway. Uh, you know, stigma sometimes set in. And, you know, I've experienced, you know, not only living a story as a teen parent, but then championing and pioneering Australia's only national charity that uh, supports and provides pathways for them. I've certainly experienced the uh, the end of stigma towards Brave and in my own journey on many occasions. Uh, and I look at that, I guess, now with my maturity in being a, a wonderful opportunity for education mm. and a wonderful opportunity to be able to inform. But when you're a 16-year-old kid, you don't quite have that level of maturity and, and you do have goals and dreams and aspirations. And so I only really listened to the people that answered those questions to take me into the place of my goals, dreams and aspirations. Mm. And uh, one of those was my year 10, year level teacher. His name was Mr. Scheel and he uh, he said his words were, the journey might be different now, but the destination can stay the same. 
and I, and I remember thinking, well, maybe I could be a nurse. Maybe I could, you know, I, I made myself a few promises and being a good mum and finishing my education and, and writing a pamphlet, I thought, to help other young people in the same situation as me. Mm. And uh, and years and years later, in 2006, I wrote that book of my own journey. And then uh, feedback from all over Australia at the time was a story hadn't been shared publicly that was inspiring for a teenage parent. And so I'd have phone calls from all over, Jacob, you know, from I think the first one was actually from Toowoomba in Queensland and it was from a teacher asking how I might be able to advise that they could keep this young girl in school. And wow. then I started to get them from all over the place, from parents. And so then that became Brave Foundation uh, in 2009. That's so it's wonderful. been incredible. So what, what was the experience like, you know, as a 16-year-old girl and, and for other 16-year-old girls or young young people finding out yeah. that they are pregnant? Like what, what goes think, through your head and, and how can better people better support them? Yeah, um, I think something that we all should remember is we don't realise how far a smile can go. You know, we don't realise when we see a young woman or a young dad with a pram in the mall what morning they've just had. We don't realise they might not even have a pram. They might not visibly look like young parents, but we don't know what they've just walked out from that morning. Uh, and so I think for us to remember the power of a smile is um, and encouraging or being able to, you know, to, to have that human interaction is really important part of society. We, can, we all can do that. Uh, I think for me as a, as a young parent and having worked with so many young parents, uh, it was, you know, there was a real sense I was pretty pragmatic and I, I, you know, cared for my brother and sister as well. It was a hard time for my mum and dad at that time. So I took on a lot of responsibility. And I guess I didn't really stop to think, you know, that it was hard or difficult. It just had to get done. So it had to get done. And, um, and I, I do remember, though, feeling a sense of, um, I, I guess, a sense of, it was almost, it, was, it wasn't, I wouldn't say jealousy, Jacob, but of my friends that would be complaining about their schoolwork. Mm. And I'd be thinking, I've had no sleep and I'm doing year 11 and year 12. And I, you know, I would just love to complain about schoolwork. And, mm. and I didn't have that, um, there wasn't that understanding. And of course there couldn't be. They were, they were you know, a couple of friends, in, you know, especially were incredible and still, you know, my, my greatest mates today. But I think it's something that as a young mum, I, I started to have more in common with my mum and my dad's friends mm. that had been through the journey that I had. And thankfully, you know, I was able to, um, was able to, to receive advice and, and that type of thing from them. But yeah, there, there were parts where it was hard and the stigma as my tummy grew, you, you can't hide a big pregnant tummy. Well, I yeah. certainly couldn't. And then you certainly can't hide a baby. So <laughs> I think. <laughs> Not for very long, at least. <laughs> no, no. And so I think being able to, um, yeah, I naively thought that our government structures and our society would actually want to be able to see me reach my goals and dreams and aspirations. And it came as a shock to me that actually some people didn't and uh, and that I then needed to create a conversation that would then hopefully help others have the opportunity not to experience that yeah. stigma to the same extent. Can you extent. explain that a little bit more? So, so what do you think that they want 
do they sort of want people to just sort of become yeah, parents I'll, and and focus on that and like well I'll give an example please. I think Jacob I think a lot of it is a lack of lack of understanding and sometimes you know there's that famous saying uh from to kill a mockingbird if you put someone else's shoes on and walk around them in them um it's a pretty powerful thing yeah I think for us in Australia as a society to actually be able to do that and to hold each other's experiences and understanding um, together and being willing to listen and understand can be quite challenging because I think sometimes we might have our own perception and so being willing to uh, be challenged or being willing to perhaps not have been informed or be more informed and being willing to receive that is something that a lot of us don't do well. I know I sometimes haven't and will mm. think, you know, I, I, I'm right, I've got this. And and that's that's so not the case. It's, you know, I see a part of, you know, one section, not, not the entirety, so I need to learn from others. And so I think learning uh, and never that we are going to arrive as an individual is an important part of being human. But uh, the example that I'll share was I was at an award ceremony and this was, you know, within the last five years and um, quite a, 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 you know, a high calibre award ceremony and uh, a fellow, you know, asked me about Brave Foundation and, you know, took me sort of out of earshot and uh, and he was, a you know, another finalist and he just said to me, look, I have one thing to say to you. This was at the time when Brave Foundation had already helped 500 teen parents connect to education and support and he said, but isn't it just that, you made your bed and now you should lie in it. And mm. I remembered thinking at that time, you know, all dressed up that, you know, not only have we helped our most vulnerable young people in Australia, not only have we helped their children, but to build a charity like Brave Foundation has taken some pretty serious muscle in being able to understand governance, understand business, the actual processes of developing a successful organisation. And so I remembered thinking, how do I answer this? Mm. And, um, and said, well, you know, do you realise that for every dollar that's invested into a young parent through our program, $10 is saved by the federal government? And so what then the federal government could do is spend those funds into another part of society that you think would be worthy of those funds. And... You know, that's, there's two parts of that, Jacob. There's It's hard to be able to straddle uh, and take the opportunity for education because, of course, you know, that was not a nice thing to hear. Of course, that wasn't something that I heard and it was like water off a duck's back. Sounds like an it, ignorant comment, to be honest. Yeah, it, it, it is difficult to hear that, especially when we're, you know, if we're given influence. And so I think the other thing that we can do is that if we are given the gift of influence at any point, um, that we can use that for good mm. and to use that to be able to see, um, you know, our young people or whoever we're talking to, to be able to meet their goals and dreams and aspirations. And it actually ended up being quite a powerful story. And we had a number of conversations following that, which was, which was excellent. But again, I think going back to what we talked about, sometimes it's a lack of understanding and a lack of, um, you know, perhaps he'd never met a teen parent before. And so through that, I'm hoping that his life and, and countless others will, will, you know, have a, have a broader perspective, which is great for all of us. 
Did it bother you at all that that comment came from a male? Um, it did because, and, and I think I really had to bite my tongue <laughs> of, hang on, you know, well, who else was in the bed then, mate? Mm. <laughs> like it's yeah, not, exactly right. It's not just a, it's not just you know um, something that happens on its own. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it did. It did bother me, but. You know, at the same time, my outcome was to be able to hopefully transform his thinking. Yeah, that's wonderful. And so, I, I'm getting yeah. defensive here, you know, for the, <laughs> for the young women. <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah. Yeah, good on you for, for continuing the conversation and, and giving him the time of day to, to educate him rather than just, uh, mm. you know, shutting him down. So that's, that's Yeah, that's important. Admirable. I think we all can learn from each other and each yep. other's stories. Yeah. So how is Brave Foundation helping uh, young expecting and parenting yeah so we've uh we've had the immense privilege to have been funded we're actually just received funding from the um the office for women through their women's leadership development fund which is it's a six million dollar grant and so we're actually growing yeah which is just amazing the prime minister actually came down to tasmania which is where i'm based yep we run our head office from here my home is in hobart and uh, it's quite incredible the things that come out of Hobart. I'm, I'm from Melbourne originally, but I uh, have lived here for 17 years. And we've got uh, staff in Northern Territory, Queensland, New South Wales, Big Taz. And uh, we are now going into South Australia and we'll be exploring WA and ACT. And so it's um it's wonderful but what it means is uh that we we have countless expecting and parenting teams knocking on our door and uh our aim is to be able to create pathways with them to realize their boundless potential Mm. and so we will be able to do that for another 1000 young parents young mums and dads over the next three years so it's quite incredible and uh an amazing outcome for you know something I, i wondered last year whether we would even um, exist so it's quite quite yeah, wonderful to see to see the vision continuing and uh, gaining momentum and strength even as we speak so so what was that experience like through covid was uh was there times where you know you had to cut back or yeah in um it was it was really it was a roller coaster mm. we actually we've had an infographic made about brave foundation's journey from brave little bear until now and last year the actual visual is a roller coaster and at the front <laughs> of it there's me and my coo with brown hair i'm the cartoon character with blonde hair and then behind us there's a truck with money falling out of it then behind that there's covid like you yeah. know viruses and then behind that there's all of our staff and, um, and so what we actually faced was at the beginning of last year, we were told by the federal government, because we knew we were successful, we'd done an evaluation through a university, that we would be expanding. And so that was um, penciled into the budget. So we were figuratively going to be doing what we're doing now. Yeah. Uh, at that time, uh, we then got a phone call when COVID hit from the minister's chief of staff, where I had met with the minister a number of times in Canberra. And that phone call was to say, we are so sorry, but we're going to have to, um, you're going to have to wind up the program mm. and uh, all funds need to be diverted to the COVID response. And it came as a huge shock because of the conversations that we had, but Jacob in, in, um, the real world, what it meant was that I had to have, we had 21 staff and I had to have 20 conversations with them and say to them that they wouldn't have their jobs in three weeks time. Wow. And so it was they, total, you're planning to totally wind it up. 
Yeah, so we wow. would have, the wording was, we'll keep the heartbeat of Brave alive for as long as possible. Mm. So we would have kept a couple of people for about two or three months and that would have been it. Um, and so that was really hard because we, and I, I remember actually having the moment when I realised that this was the truth of what we were going to have to walk into, I um I printed off the name of every single participant that we'd ever helped in um, Brave and supported in Brave. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm someone that likes to reflect and someone that has faith. And I remember just having a moment of reflection and gratitude and um, I'm committing each of those people, all of those young mums and dads in, in a moment of... Um, yeah, in, in a moment of time and just really believing for the best for them, even though perhaps it wasn't going to be through the conduit of Brave. Mm. And so having those conversations with each staff member that that was going to be me as well in that was very difficult. And, uh, and so you can only imagine after that conversation, three weeks later, I had a phone call from the same chief of staff saying, uh, same, same, it was same office saying that actually, uh, you know, now that COVID, we're really in the swings of COVID, we know teen parents need help more than ever. Mm. So we want to give you funding until March of this year. And uh, that was like turning around the Titanic. Jacob, <laughs> we had, you know, everyone was, no, and, and it was in COVID, like, and yeah. our staff couldn't get JobKeeper because we were part of a trial. So it was, um, it was pretty extraordinary. And then, uh, then we've actually, we were in a similar situation at the beginning of this year. We had our grant funding was finishing in February and we were hoping to hear about this grant that we've now been successful in that we were meant to find out about in January. And uh, it was pushed back until May because of uh, oversubscription and COVID. And uh, and then we were able to, I led what was called a no stone unturned strategy. So again, I, um, I asked questions of a whole lot of people in not-for-profit, local government or not local government, federal and state government. Uh, and and tried to really um, turn over any stones, any specks of dust to see what opportunities there could be for Brave, even if it was a merger or an acquisition, because we were so determined to see the um, DNA of Brave continue in some capacity and to either finish well and that we were going to lead the team because we knew that there wasn't any other government funding except for this one we were going to, to to wait for in May, lead the team in finishing well and that somehow that was going to be an extraordinary um, experience that we would all learn from or that something amazing would happen um, as equally as amazing and we didn't know that what that was going to be yet. So because of that uh, No Stone Unturned strategy, we actually created a relationship with the Paul Ramsey Foundation and uh, they're Australia's largest philanthropic foundation um, just incredible, amazing. And uh, and they assisted us with uh, funds to help us bridge that oh, February to May period. And then we were funded. Yeah, wow. <laughs> the $6 million and, and the Prime Minister came down. So, <laughs> you know, and I got really to turned around, didn't it? it. So what amazing. Was the, what were the three weeks like when you thought you'd have to wind it all up? Um, uh, I remember thinking, Jacob, that leadership is for these times mm. that leadership is for these times you know leadership isn't for when you're in the Qantas club it's not for when you're on the beach <laughs> it's actually for leading people through difficult times and choosing to believe that the um that the actual the way that you walk that out 
is very essential to the life journey that we're all on together at that point in time. And so for me, we really, I, and, I, and my team and I, we talked about this together, we um, stood on a number of, of values during, during well, it was actually during, you know, those few months because it was, was quite a stressful few months. Um, and they were grace, adaptability, and flexibility and understanding. And so for myself and especially for um, my COO, Jill, and our board, we also adapted, uh, adopted that. Um, culture needs to come from the top, so it really needed to, to come. We, we um, bought in a new chair. Extraordinary. So we did all of this governance change when it looked like we could be winding up. Yeah, wow. But we did we did that on purpose because I remember thinking, well, when we can make a mark and when we can send a message, let's get people of the next caliber that we need in um, to send that message that this is this is something that is you know is um, is extremely valuable, mm. and we're going to keep we're going to keep building this in the areas that we can that don't rely on funds. And so, yeah, that understanding and grace was so important. And it was a journey now I reflect on. And and at the at the beginning of the year, like my husband said to me, you know, I'm, you know, just myself. If you think of, you know, me and, you know, we've got our kids and normal household, mortgage. And he's like, you know, I'm the main, um, you know, breadwinner. And he's like, I should be freaking out. Like, I should be totally freaking out. If we've got, you know, four weeks or whatever of knowing whether you're going to get paid, and do I need to, you know, he's he's in ministry, and um and but we we had absolute peace, and we actually did. It was quite extraordinary. And if if brave, you know, uh, uh you know, if if it had have been that we were finishing well, then that was going to be because that was essential for uh, the greater good, which we were choosing to be able to see in that time. And we would have created some great opportunities from that um, with that legacy. However, as equally amazing is that that is not the case. <laughs> and yes. We stand um, on very firm foundations and we've actually come to the place where now not only do we, you know, we've we've been able to establish philanthropic funding and federal funding, but very close with um, state funding. So we've diversified wow. our funding portfolio and that's that's huge. I mean, we're a, you know, we're a 15 year overnight success. So we're a very young <laughs> charity, national charity. When you look at your brotherhoods of St. Lawrence or Smith's yep. families that have been um, in existence for a hundred years, it, it does take a long time to build that sustainability. So that's something that, um, yeah, we're all just so, we're so grateful for that time. Cause I don't think without doing no stone unturned and the work we did, we, we wouldn't be in the position that we are. Yeah. Wow helping more people. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. So for, for somebody that's going through one of those periods where everything looks uh, quite sinister, whether they're a founder or, you know, they've started a charity or done something um, that's taken a lot of work and things aren't working out, what's your advice to get them through mm. those periods? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I, I've said before, I'm a woman of faith and I can remember my husband, you know, I, I said to him, I need to listen to the right stuff, <laughs> you know, like I need to listen. I need to keep my mental A game, you know, up. And that was really important. So actually thinking what 
choosing what I would surround my ears and eyes to. It wasn't the time to be watching Handmaid's Tale or watching, <laughs> you know, anything. It was, you know, probably Friends was it was yeah. not a bad option at that time. Um, but that was important. And I remember he actually, he, uh, which was quite lovely, he made a playlist for me which he titled Worship Pharmacy. <laughs> and so it okay. was like it, um, which was really cool. And, and that was very helpful. Um, but that, that was important to me. It was actually being able to find meaning. And, and I think I've talked a little bit about that in, in the three weeks. And also, you know, I did some really pragmatic things. I, and this isn't something that Brave needed to do. It's not something any employer needs to do, but I actually reached out to other organizations and found staff members, possible jobs in that time and made those connections for them. Um, and so that was something that I wanted to be able to do so that they could continue to build the attributes that are important in Brave, but into the wider world beyond what might have been with Brave. So investing into to each person that has served the young people that we serve. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, my husband, he's just incredible having great people around you. That day when I rang or Zoomed those 20 staff members, you can imagine there's different responses, human beings where, you know, where it's, it's, um, that's hard, you know, mm-hmm. there's, you know, our staff have families and they need to pay for their, they're there for their food and their groceries. And, and so my beautiful husband in the middle of lockdown, you could, we could travel into work in Tasmania, but there was no one on the streets, but I went into work that day because I didn't want to do that from home. Yep. He just sat outside my office door, just on a couch with his computer all day and just bought me in cups of tea. And I, that support, you know, he didn't say anything. He couldn't hear the conversations, but just that consistency of support and, you know, there would be times where I'd think, I wonder what in, in two months' time what it's going to look like will be past all this. But it was it was actively standing on the values that I spoke about before, actively for me being able to go to those those parts of where my faith is most important in, in, in my life. Um, and through that, I, I was able to stand on peace and, and lead lead through that and um and uh, alongside the incredible team that we have at Brave Foundation and learn from them as well through it, you know, having the space for people to be able to talk and experience the journey as they were themselves was important to me. Sound like a wonderful leader. So well done. I'm, I am, like, like you've heard me say, Jacob, I'm still learning. It's a lifelong journey. Yeah. Humble as well. Humble as well, Bernadette. <laughs> Um, so tell me about this Order of Australia. How did yeah. that come about? What does that even mean for people that don't know? Yeah, so the member of the Order of Australia is, it's quite incredible. So it is something that you can't, uh, it's not an awards process. It's um, something where five people will nominate you. Um, it's usually about five five people. I think one person does a nomination, but there has to be five references. Mm-hmm. And it's actually determined by the Governor-General of Australia. And so there are a number of orders of Australia that are given out each year, I think every six months. And so, yeah, it's quite incredible. And I received my Order of Australia uh, for my significant, I think the, the citation is significant service to youth, local government and communities. 
and uh, that was extraordinary because it's uh, you know it's it's quite beautiful the actual um, medal. It's mm. you know it has all the wattle insignia and your insignia and your name on the back and a big beautiful you know blue ribbon and uh, and then you have a little pin. You can wear a little pin from day to day and you have um, post nominals which are two AM is at the end of my name and so there's four categories I think there's an OAM then there's an AM which is the one I was awarded mm-hmm. and there's an AC and then there's one after that so um it's quite extraordinary and I you know went to the letterbox and it was a very ordinary day and we'd actually had a tough day as a family with some with some kids stuff and um, went to my letterbox and it was at the end of last year and um, noticed that my sister had written a, a letter because I knew her handwriting to, to one of my children. And, uh, and but it was like we have a problem with snails in our letterbox, Jacob. Okay. So it was, yep. it was eaten alive with um, snails. And I, so, but I could tell it was Janie's handwriting. Yep. And then underneath it was this beautiful gold embossed, <laughs> um, perfect. It wasn't eaten by snails at wow. all. Same private, private and confidential, Bernadette Black. And that was uh, in it had said said that I was being considered for a nomination and that I couldn't tell anyone. So I had to keep it a secret until um, until January and. So that was uh, just wow. just amazing. and I don't know who it is that nominated me, and um, yeah, it was very beautiful and very humbling, and and I think something I hope to be a good steward of uh, in the future as well. That's wonderful, well deserved, I think. Ah, oh, thanks. <laughs> so, what's next for you and, and the Brave Foundation? Yeah, so we've got some. Uh, I guess we've you know I've always always had big plans and um and and love to be able to think laterally and um creatively and so something I've been thinking about for the past few years and I've I've done some study overseas has been about how do we socially and economically empower young people that are most at risk of disadvantage earlier through primary prevention and 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 I guess that's Jacob through seeing through the eyes of teen parents you know, we have young groups that are, for want of a better term, cohorts within cohorts. We, most of the young parents we've worked with have disability um, really? of some type, uh, 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 um, experiencing mental health concerns. Um, uh, domestic and family violence is quite mm. prevalent. And so we've been able to see, I guess, through expecting and parenting teens, are the barriers that exist to them being able to be on an equal level playing field as their peers, to get mm. education, to get support. Some of these barriers are in the way that our governments are actually uh, systemically operating. So there are ways that our governments, and they do an incredible job, but sometimes the way that they work can perpetuate the problem and keep people in disadvantage mm. and uh, long-term welfare dependency. So I've taken a real keen interest in that and uh, Brave at the moment, we're looking at um, exploring that a little bit more um, firmly into the future and um, and hoping to look at uh, an advocacy strategy, systemic advocacy for young people generally that are at risk of greatest um, greatest greatest risk of disadvantage and long-term welfare dependency and are creating ways that they that they won't be into the future through through change in our governments and and ways of doing doing things in the authorizing environments so what makes someone at greatest uh, risk Mm, that's a good question isn't it i was actually just reading a book last night it's um 
It's fabulous. It's from the CEO of Paul Ramsey Foundation and Glenn is his name. And he actually says in it, and I can't recall the the statistics off the top of my head now, Jacob, but Mm -hmm. he talks about that young people that experience disadvantage, so I guess like myself, um, that that have encountered the, the, I guess, and I won't say that it's a disadvantaged person. I think our language needs to be really careful. People experience disadvantage. <laughs> and um, and so the, um, I guess this, it's, you know, the alerts to possible disadvantage could be teen, pre- teen parenting, being a young carer, say if mum or dad has an accident, um, leaving school early, increased risk-taking behaviour, drugs, alcohol, mm-hmm. uh, that they might be denominators which could contribute to periods of um, of disadvantage into in, in that person's life. And so I think for us to understand how we can then, from a systemic or from a government and community services lens, help people that are facing a range of um, challenges which could lead to disadvantage, how we can come together and create policy that is human-centred, not through I'm seeing you through the Department of Health, I'm seeing you through the Department Mm. of Social Services, I'm seeing you through a payment lens, but actually what can we bring around them as a package to see their goals, dreams and aspirations actually apprehended amidst while we support them journeying perhaps crisis situations. Mm. Um, But, yeah, in in England's book, it it actually said that most young people that face disadvantage will, it will become generational disadvantage. Mm. And so, and it's quite high. Like I think it was, you know, it was 90% or or something like that. So it's that entrenched generational disadvantage actually to be able to see that reduced and understand what poverty is in Australia today. It's very different to what it was, um, you know, our government systems and they are, they're just so great. We've, you know, some of the greatest people or the bureaucrats that I've been able to work with, but our, um, our system of, of government is a beverage system. And that was what was uh, developed post-war in England. And so poverty has changed a lot since that time, but our governments, uh, the status quo environment, it could stay the same, but I think we could look at that more fully to think how do we meet the needs of poverty and uh, at-risk people mm-hmm. um, and disadvantage so that we can see see more Australians actually having, uh, you know, you know, we hear about us talking about the lucky country in Australia. Well, I'd love us to become the empowered one mm-hmm. so that we can empower each person to reach their goals and dreams and um and it's not because you know your your family's had a had a background or your mum or dad's been in disadvantage that you're going to be too mm. so i think that's I think that's really important yeah absolutely so when does brave get involved in supporting a expecting parent is it like yes. early on or is it you know yep. once they've made a decision to keep the baby or how does yeah, that work yeah so we're we're post the choice debate. We don't yeah. enter into it. It's um it's something that we will usually a, a teen parent will come to us or expecting teen will come to us around you know their three to four months, and um and which is fantastic if they can come to Brave Foundation when they're expecting, then we can actually support them to create their goals and dreams uh, earlier. If because we are working with a whole lot of young kids, you know, incredible individuals that are facing multiple challenges, 
the risk can be that if there is a gap from any support, uh, say until the bub's been born at two or th- two or three months old, and then they come into the program, that is fantastic. That's a, a win. But that you know that they might actually be in a different position at that stage rather than earlier if they were able to if they were able to get that support when they were expecting and then we can actually step out their goals with them and and you know create that pathway plan alongside them for the future but I mean any time that they will come to us if they've had a child when they're a teenager um, whether they're expecting as a teenager then Brave wants to be able to help journey them you know these are you know groups of young people that have been teen parents that are there for teen parents and our professional mentors are all incredible and um, they all have their own stories to share not all of them are teen parents themselves but they're a part of the brave village and have such a passion to see uh, our young people's you know lives reach their boundless potential Mm. and how can you know parents and families and communities better support um, you know uh, young pregnant women yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think um, we talked about it earlier, but it can be as simple as giving a smile. Yeah. It can be uh, using your influence for good, so being able to look at how to create pathways for other people with the little bit that we have, you know, to do. You know, you never know who you're sitting across the table from. You never know when you recommend a book or you never know when you recommend, oh, you should meet this person, the difference or that um, the the lock you might just be unlocking for someone. Uh, I think it's important that, uh, that we can work together as a broader village of support. And so, you know, we've had a lot of people come to Brave where they might be uncles of, mm. of a young, you know, a, a their niece, except their brother who's you know going to be the grandfather is too upset and so then the uncle will ring brave foundation and and uh, ask whether brave will be able to journey that experience with you know with with their niece and their brother and you know what a privilege that's that's a, that's that's incredible but it, it you know there are there are many um emotions that are journeyed during a time like um an unplanned pregnancy which most mm. expecting and parenting teens are so it's um it's it's yeah it's important that we all can play our role uh, within what we call as a brave village, and um, and empower these young people to still you know like I heard that the journey might be different but the destination can be the same and actually you know it, it can be even better they'll have this little little person that um, that will also be able to change the world in a unique way. Mm, it's beautiful. And do you think the stigma is changing in society? Um. I think it is. You know, I, I talk, you know, uh, the my teen parenting story, it's um, precious and beautiful and it is, you know, so wonderful to be able to share it. I guess I'm coming to a stage in my life where it's it's lovely because I can see it as a chapter in my book but it's certainly not the whole book Mm. so I um I and I always continue to walk the journey myself personally with a couple of expecting and parenting teens throughout my life and I'll continue to do that because I'm passionate about it but um but actually coming face to face with stigma would be something that the mentors would be able to really chat to us about uh from what we hear and what I hear through our mentors it is that um 
unfortunately, sometimes in, you know, going, getting a bus, for example, that it can be those stairs, it can be when people will say things. Um, and so for all of us to remember, again, you never know what's been behind a person's morning or a person's afternoon and just getting out of the house with a baby, my goodness, you know, mm. <laughs> it's, it's a huge feat no matter what age you are, um, let alone when you're young and you might have a school bag on your back. Um, mm. So it's, it's important, I think, uh, for us to focus on, the um the potential of that young person and uh and and not to be drawn into the stigma that has historically been associated mm. with teen parenting parenting and and I think also what's interesting too Jacob I mean an important part of this is the gift of a teenage life I can remember for my son actually thinking all I wanted for him was to have the gift of a teenage life that I wasn't going to be able to have and for young parents any that I've spoken to that is resoundingly one of their highest goals is they want their kids to have a great life and yeah. uh and if they're taking these steps to you know to to for themselves to be able to do education and, and those things they they really are um and yeah that's important that's important because if their children can have the gift of a teenage life then what we'll actually see is uh not just a you know a, a um healthy lives um, which we're seeing through the program and through the support of the program, but also, you know, a reduction potentially in that generational occurrence because historically teen parents, children can often become teen parents, so mm. the same. Um, so that will be interesting to see into the future as well. Yeah. So you were passionate about a cause and you decided to go do something about it. Um, mm. How about other people that are passionate about a cause? Um, you know, what's your advice to them? Yeah, do it. Do it. It's um uh we 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 need innovators, we need pioneers, we need creative people to think outside of the box and to see things that I might not be able to see. Uh, and then the journey is bringing and being able to share that story in uh, a way that is going to bring about synergies with people around you and is going to amplify that message and uh, and being able to understand where people can relate to it, I think. You know, like the story I shared earlier um, with with the, the fellow that I met at the awards ceremony, you know, that was challenging. But every person, you know, that we talk to talking about teenage parents you'll normally be able to find an area, you know, oh, there's a young girl in my street or there's mm. a, you know, oh, is that, you know, um, you know, the, you know, the, you know, down at our local shopping centre, there's a, there's a bubs and play and there's a, you know, some young mums there. And it, it is quite incredible when you start these conversations. So, um, yeah, absolutely uh, empower anyone that wants to begin something for the greater good and to see to see the inherent uh, uniqueness of who we are as individuals um, released in a greater way. I think our world needs it. So it's um it's too important not to. It's too important not to ask the questions. You know, feel awkward, raise your hand, even when you're you know you've got those sweaty palms and thinking are they going to think it's silly and stupid? They won't. Just ask the question anyway, and and um and usually at the end of asking those questions, there will be another open door. So love it. That's done. Well, um, for people who want to learn a little bit more about you and the Brave Foundation, how can they do that? Absolutely. So you can go to bravefoundation.org.au or you can find me on any of the social media 
channels. Awesome. We'll put some links in the in the show notes. But Bernadette, it's been an absolute honor to speak with you. Thank you for making the time. Absolutely, Jacob. And it's a wonderful to speak with you too. I've just loved your podcast that I've been listening to. Oh, and thank I you. think you have such great conversations that we all need to hear. So thank you for everything you're doing too. Thank you, Bernadette. Really appreciate that. We'll chat soon. No worries. Yep. All right, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please leave a review and subscribe to keep up to date. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at the Prosper Podcast. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.